Carlos Alberto Diego. Welcome to you. How are you, mate? Uh, and by the way, you're warming the seat beautifully for Francis. <laughs> Don't uh, say that too loud, He'd Francis. be worried. Uh, he's probably listening to us right now. He'd be he really worried sick up there in Sydney. Not at all, because we're regulars <laughs> on Tuesday. And uh, well, I've introduced you, but speaking of Francis, he is not quite ready. So does that mean he's still sleeping? Like, what's the time, <laughs> mate? It's up to us too. Frank, answer your phone. You hate it when you're hosting and people don't answer. So we need him to answer the phone. Before we get him on the line... 2-0, yep. it was described in the paper, Carlos, as ugly but effective. What's your assessment of last night? Yeah, I think that's quite accurate uh, to say that. Uh, but, you know, you can either take that in a couple of ways. Uh, you can take that, that, you know, you can panic and say we're not going to get to the World Cup. Uh, or you can just say this is all what this is what World Cup qualification is all about. I mean, you know, I, I think if you go through the gross majority of teams playing in World Cup in Europe at the moment, in Africa, yep. in uh, you know, CONCACAF in, in Central America, uh, you you know, everyone is not playing their best football at the moment. It is World Cup qualifying. Coaches don't have their players for very long before games. Uh, they're trying to embed uh, systems of play and trying to bring new players in and blend them in with really short periods of preparation. And they play in difficult conditions. I mean, last, if you saw the game against uh, Iraq in Tehran last week, fair dinkum. I mean, it was, it was almost, that pitch was almost like Sunday, you know, pub league football type pitch uh, in, a, in a, you know, really um, in a place where, you know, the conditions weren't great for the players. And uh, they struggled, but they got the draw and did what they needed. And people forget that result as they do this performance from last night, if they make it to the World Cup. So it's all part of picking up those points and just getting there, I reckon. Now, you know that I'm a fan of the game, but I'm not an aficionado, if you like, of the game to comment. But uh, I'm intrigued from a coaching point of view. We'll get to uh, last night's game in a moment when we get Francis on the line. But you mentioned the previous match, the draw in Tehran, where the coach, who I said I like, he, he was joking, not joking, he was serious about the hot water system before in, uh, <laughs> in the sports news hit. But I found it strange that he would choose that time to change the system with traditionally four back to three back, yeah. which I'm imagining, without being a soccer guru, that that can expose you at times. What did you make of that, given he just grabbed hold of his players and said, hey, we're going to try this? It takes a hell of a lot of courage. Some people might say stupidity, but uh, I just prefer, from day one, when Ange Postacoglu took over, he said, I'm going to be proactive in my coaching. My team's going to be proactive. They're not sitting back and parking the bus. We're yep. not caring. We're not respecting, overly respecting any other opposition. We're going to go at players and teams whenever we get the opportunity to do it. And that's what that was all about. He needed to, from what I read and from what people have told me, he needed to introduce it then because he's thinking of World Cup. He's thinking of Confederations Cup. He needs to uh, you know, bed this system of play in over a number of you know, three or four games. Uh, if he didn't introduce it then, suddenly it's one less game and suddenly they've got the game against uh, Saudi Arabia in June and suddenly they're going to the... In June, I think they're going off to the Confederations Cup and they're playing the likes of Germany and Chile and Cameroon. These are world-class teams who have performed at the top, top level. So, you know, yeah, it's scary... Uh, but that's why he's doing that job and I'm not. And we're watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, but he's always he's always said that uh, he'll do it his way. And look, he didn't lose the games. Three points, uh, sorry, uh, what, four points out of six. Yep. And uh, it's not, for me, it's all about getting the points right now. Got the result last night. And the man who was up there, and that's the reason why he's not here today, we allow him to have one day off every now and again. Uh, Francis Leach, uh, good afternoon. I'm sitting in your chair here, Frank. How, how was the evening? 
Well, Chuck, I'm sitting by Sydney Harbour looking at the bridge. I can see some climbers going over the top of it on a clear blue sky day. It's rather spectacular here. It was rough, uh, and it was a classic World Cup qualifier. And I hear what uh, Carlos is saying, and I totally agree with him. And I don't think you can underestimate just how much pressure were on the players last night. As much as Ange was keeping a rather cool demeanour leading into the game, they knew that they were on a knife edge, and uh, I think they played accordingly. I still think that we've got a major structural issue in the fact that that pitch was not up to international football standard. This country is a first world nation and we're producing public pitches for our national team. Uh, It's an ongoing issue and it's understandable. These are shared venues and so Mm. you've got other sports using them. But uh, it was tough for the players last night, but they got the job done. Um, It was nervy and that three at the back um, formation is a little bit scary when you've got a player like Omar Abdelrahman, who was clearly, to me, technically the best player out there. Um, If he finds a moment of magic, suddenly we're facing an equaliser and we're in real trouble. But we got away with it last night. But I hear what Carlos is saying, and that is, you know, I don't think we should underestimate how important the Confederations Cup is. I know the World Cup is the biggest tournament in the world, but you're in the shop window with the best nations from the other confederations, and you do not want to go there and be embarrassed. And I think uh, Carlos is right when he talks about Ange wanting to put this uh, formation in place and work with that going into that over the next few games to make sure that we're competitive there, and that's what I feel will be the structure for this team if it makes the World Cup. This is the start of that process right now. Yeah, Fred, it's Carlos, mate. I don't know whether you got to the press conference last night, but uh, watching it, uh, you, you all, like it's just Ange is so tense, and he's uh, he's about to jump down anyone's throat who um, not questions him, but also doesn't understand what he's trying to do right now. I'm not sure whether he got a chance, had a chance to get there, but uh, how do you find his demeanour at the moment and? Uh, and is he uh, justified in acting the way he is at the moment? Well, it's a different dynamic, Carlos, because remember, he didn't qualify Australia for the last World Cup. Olga Rossik did. And he took on that team and, he, you know, the village had been burnt and he had to rebuild it and he did a great job of it. Now he has to take them through a qualification process over that period of games and it's not easy. And I think sometimes we forget the work that Verbeek and Osik did to get us to those World Cups. It's not easy. And I think there are, there are peaks and troughs in all of that and that pressure is inevitable. And it's good that he's under pressure. I think he's good for that. I don't think we know, we're all admirers of Ange. And I, I think he's a wonderful coach and he's the right person for the job. But the pressure is legitimate. After four consecutive draws, Saudi Arabia won again last night. We're still chasing the pack. Uh, and uh, he, de- he deals with it in a way that uh, is natural to him. But he got the result last night and he's got two home games plus that game in Japan away. To, to get us through. And I think now that they will get through, though I'm still concerned we can't score from open play. I mean, if you look at the record, uh, you know, Matthew Leckie's uh, turned into the new Tim Kale with his those bullet headers there. It's a, it's a godsend from him. But our most recent goal from open play goes back to October of last year. Uh, we scored three from the penalty spot and three headers. So I would like to see some creativity in there that creates goals in open play. But on a night like that yesterday, it wasn't so much a case of how, but if, and uh, we got the result. Just going back, uh, Frank, to what you said about the pitch last night, and I flicked sort of back and forwards last night having a look at it, and I'm not a soccer aficionado, as I've said to you on several occasions, but I like the game. Turnovers, first touch last night, we appeared sloppy. Was it a bit of the pitch, but was it also we were missing some of our real good ball midfield, our, uh, our specialist at foot level? Yeah, Aaron Moyes is the guy in there, Chuck, that you need. And he's had a wonderful year, as we know, with Huddersfield. And just in the middle of the pitch, Massimo uh, Luongo was also injured, so he's another player with great touch. Yep. Tommy Rogic hasn't been part of these last couple of games. 
all three of them, they haven't worked out a way to play them together yet, but you want you want that ingredient in there. But the pitch was tough. I mean, it, I had a look at it before the game, and it looked lush, but the reason why it was lush was because it was very soft underfoot. And you just watch the ball, and players needed a first touch before they could play, and the really good players like to be able to, you know, to be able to play instinctively, and they had to stop the ball and play it. Uh, and they were a little bit hesitant for what was at stake. They'll get better uh, in better conditions, but you've got to deal with the, the cards you dealt. And I was speaking to some of the former Socceroos that I ran into last night, they thought the four consecutive draws on the road was a pretty good result, you know, from the, the tough experiences they've had. You know, it's not a bad result in a tough group. Maybe we've just presumed in the past that we were going to waltz through qualification and it was going to be easy. World Cup qualification is not meant to be like that. So, you know, we're in a fight and you probably wouldn't want it any other way. Francis, one uh, exciting outcome of the game in Tehran and also last night was the form of uh, uh, young uh, Jack- Jackson Irvine. Uh, not only scored yeah. last night, had a chance, uh, had, had two chances last night. Not, he scored, put one away and had another one where it was a great save. And in Tehran, he had a couple of great chances. This guy just looks a natural. He's, uh, if, you're, if you were actually going to make a big call and, and say that someone was going to be a 10-year socceroo, I'd make it with him because he just seems like he's slotted in there. And he's this... Um, He's just an instinctive footballer. He just sort of slots in and he, he's got a good touch on him. He's got a good brain on him and, uh, and he's very aggressive at set pieces. Yeah, he was wonderful. And he was in Tehran, as you said, 21, 22 years of age. He's, he's about six foot or maybe a little taller. And like a lot of those guys who played in the championship, you have to be very physical and have a big engine. And another one of those players who, you know, somehow we didn't see in the A-League, but they found a, a pathway to playing overseas. Uh, and, yeah, he looked really, really comfortable. And you've got to say that that depth in the squad is what you need um, coming into Confederations Cup and, and a World Cup, uh, you know, the, those last few games of World Cup qualification. But he, he took his goal really well. That was going in regardless of what happened with the, with the touch on the line. And he looked, he was one of those players that looked short on the ball. Brad Smith's the one I'm interested in, Carlos mm. and Chuck. Like, he's got such great speed out on the left-hand side. But um, because he hasn't played, and this is one of the, you know, be careful what you wish for. He's playing for Bournemouth uh, in the Premier League, who have been pretty good to stay up again this year. But he's not getting any game time. Um, he just didn't, he lacked that touch, I think, three or four times in the first half. He let the ball go out when he really should have trapped it and, and gone forward. He's got speed, and when he's in form, he can whip the balls into the box that are really dangerous. So, uh, but Ange is just hoping somewhere he gets some game time so he can actually get some, some feel for, for playing high-tempo football because at the moment he's been wasted. Francis, if, he's gonna, if, Francis, if, uh, if Ange is going to play with that four across the midfield, uh, the, the, those wide guys are so, so important. Like you said, the Brad Smith and the uh, Matthew Leckies are so important to the team. But they need to be thinkers and they need to be guys who are quite consistent and very disciplined in the way they play their position because they've got to get up and back and do both a defensive and attacking job. Um, do you think that those two have got the goods, or do you think someone like Alex Gersbach, who didn't play in these two games, but a really young footballer who's who's uh, catching a lot of attention uh, in Europe at the moment, and I see him as a real thinking type footballer. Someone like him coming in might uh, might put a bit of pressure on Brad Smith, especially on that left hand side. Well, you need competition for places, and I would say absolutely. Uh, that you want that. Nobody, and this is Andrew's, as you know, Carlos and, and Chuck, you would know this from your experience with great cricket teams. Nobody should presume that that shirt belongs to them. You know, nobody should presume, should presume that that next game is gifted to them. And you want players pressing for places and making sure that those that, that are currently starting in that team know that they need to perform to hang on to it. So I hope he is that player because Brad Smith at the moment, 
and we've heard Ange say it. He wants his players playing. He, he needed to use him last night, but I'm much. I'm sure he'd much prefer that he was playing at club level. So let's hope that's the case. I like Matthew Lecky. Now, for those who don't know his Brecken, you would know Carlos. He, he's, he was an AFL. He played Aussie rules up until his early teens and decided that, uh, that football was for him. I still think he lacks that awareness sometimes mm. of what to do in the final third when he lifts his head and where to put the ball. But there's no denying he's a threat in the box. So you've got to go with that. And he does have a big engine and he does have the work ethic to get back and help out the back four. So that's something you, you'd want to actually, you know, harness as a real asset. Frank, on a different line or a different tact, if you like, uh, Timmy Cale, we know what a superstar of the game he's been um, internationally. Uh, he came on late last night. Where do you sit with uh, him in our lineup? I think, think he's always, he'll have a role to play until he doesn't, until he, he calls time in his career, Chuck. I okay. think he would know that too from, from great from great players. I think that if he's still playing good club football, there'll be a role for him in the Socceroos. Um, and there will be moments when he will be the difference still. He won't be a starter anymore, though. Uh, and he shouldn't be, you know, 37 yep. years of age. It's not his job to start. So I think that as we get through this year, there's still a role for him. If we make the World Cup, that's when the hard decision will be made. And we saw with Ange, with Lucas Neal and a few others, he's the man who's prepared to make that. Ange, uh, uh, people call you Ange there, Francis, because uh, obviously you've you're <laughs> got such a, a fantastic coaching career yourself, mate. But uh, uh, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy Urich, uh, he's the guy that is so important to the structure of the team. He, um, you know, he was a bit off his game last night. He wasn't too in- involved in Tehran either. Uh, is it a matter of him just making sure he, he plays to his role, you know, that... that protecting of the ball, that target man, bringing other people into the game, uh, or or does he lack the ability to play the role that he needs to play in this system of play that Dan just trying to introduce? Carlos, as you know, it's different in international football. Like Mark Viduka was free scoring at club level, and if you watch his highlights reel when he played at Leeds or, uh, or elsewhere at Celtic, you know that he could bang them in from anywhere. But when he played for Australia, yeah, sometimes international football is a little more circumspect and he had to be that guy with his back to goal, hold up. And we appreciated him for that, but he didn't score as freely uh, for, the, for Australia as he did at club level. Tommy was dropping really deep last night to try to get involved. I don't think the transition from back to front was anywhere near quick enough. And that was probably to do with the pitch and maybe some hesitancy about maybe getting a little too far forward and exposing uh, yourself in the back. I, I, don't, I wouldn't take into account last night's performance as a, as a mark of his talent. I think it was a frustrating night for everyone. Uh, I, I still believe in him. I know in Tehran he missed a couple of guilt-edged opportunities, but I think he can be taught how to play that role. He's a young guy. He looked really disappointed coming off last night, which is a good sign. I think he still felt like he had something to contribute. I still think he's a work in progress. Frank, sensational from you, as we know you would deliver the goods up there, and you also know we've got to take a break. So uh, I'll keep it warm for 20 minutes more and look forward to seeing you back tomorrow, mate. Good on you, Chuck. Good on you, Carlos. It's Carlos Alberto Diego is in the studio as a regular on SEN talking round ball. And, of course, last night we've just touched on it up in Sydney. Francis Leach was there for the Socceroos 2-0 victory in the World Cup qualifier. Carlos, a little bit of an eye to the future now. We, we just touched on Japan winning 4-0 over Thailand. What have the Socceroos got uh, on the horizon? And your assessment is how we shape up in this Group B. Okay, so, uh, Saudi Arabia are second at the moment. We play them next in uh, Adelaide in June. In June. And okay. then we've got an away game against Japan a little bit later in the year. And, of course, we finish the whole you know, qualification process with a game against Thailand in, a, in Mel- uh, I think it's in Sydney or in Melbourne. I can't remember where, where they're playing that third one. But uh, they're not 
three games that we shouldn't win. I mean, it's in our hands right now. I mean, people talk about Japan away from home, how dangerous that is, but it's not unheard of that we can't beat them over there. We would have had this system of play, again, bedded down for another couple of games and uh, and a guy, and players starting to get their head around it. And we've got to say that the, the Japan that played us here in uh, at Etihad Stadium uh, late last year wasn't an impressive team. They sat back, which is unJapan like. Yep. They uh, they tried to absorb pressure. They were very clever with the way they did it, but it was just a it was just uh, not something that they would normally do, being a, a very pragmatic team. And in fact, their coach only got sacked over that because they were they just weren't playing the sort of brand of football that they wanted to play. So they were fearful of Australia, and that's just unlike Japan. So this is not a, a great Japan side, even though they're leading the group at the moment. So to play them over there, you're sounding very optimistic. To I, me. I just look. Look, I, I just, I suppose we've watched so many of these qualification campaigns yes. over the years uh, under different coaches, and I much prefer having a coach with a proactive uh, approach, uh, players who believe in that uh, system of play, and players who really don't lose at home. And this, uh, you know, under Ange, we rarely lose at home. So um, I just think what, there's no reason for people to be fearful. Yes, we're not playing great football at the moment. At, at times, it look, you know, I understand people getting anxious and nervous about things, but, you know, we haven't been beaten so far in this campaign. Um, you know, we won pretty comfortably in the end last night. Saudi Arabia is a different proposition completely away from home than playing at home and uh and again uh yeah we'll get the three points against thailand and, and japan it's that game we need at least a point out of that game but i think we can beat them over there there's no reason why we can't what do you make of francis's comments when we had him online about the state of the pitch as someone who loves the game in this country should we be doing better than that for world cup qualifying matches oh absolutely i mean uh, can you imagine having uh, the australian cricket team playing on a substandard pitch in australia I mean, we copped it in India, but yeah, maybe. but in Australia, I mean, we're talking about playing at home. I understand when we're going to Tehran or you know uh, in Thailand or something, so they prepare our home it. showpiece. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, can you imagine the uh, the the Boxing Day Test played on a pitch that you know? Uh, that just wasn't up to scratch or didn't suit the Australians. I mean, that's what's happening here with football, and we play with the ball on the ground. It's so important that our players are given the carpet to play on. What's the answer, Carlos? Because I'm yeah. intrigued by this. You said to me the next game is in Adelaide. Now, I was in Adelaide for four years, as you know, and the Adelaide Oval, it's a multi-purpose venue. It's cricket season. It's AFL football. Uh, we have concerts on there. Now we're going to try and present a pristine pitch for the Saudi Arabia game. Yeah, no, it's going to be better than, say, some of the A-League games that are played in summer. When on it's the like other... an oh, ice skating. It is. It's awful. And I don't know why more players don't get injured uh, with you know the fact that it's it's a really hard surface. The ball is just just you know uh, moving around so quickly that it's really hard to control at different times. They're playing in the, in winter, so I think the ground will be a lot Lush. softer, yeah. and maybe the AFL football will help that a little bit just to break it up a bit. But I think that the ground, um, you know, I don't think I've seen a bad Adelaide Oval pitch. It's just Sydney with the with the rugby. Yep. I think that yep. really affects it at different times. And if they've had a lot of rain like Sydney have, uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. People talk about maybe you know football having its own stadium where they just play all their internationals there. But the way the FFA sell their World Cup qualifiers is that they sell it to the highest bidder. The reason why it's in Adelaide or in Melbourne or in Sydney at different times or in Brisbane, I think Suncorp uh, are looking to maybe get the Thailand game, by the way. I think they, it, it's whoever the higher, highest bidding state government is, that's who gets it. And uh, that's how they, they make their money out of these things. If they had the one stadium, maybe they wouldn't be able to get that sort of money. And who's going to pay for the stadium, by the way? I mean, how do you justify building another rectangular stadium that's not shared with anyone unless it's something that's uh, 
that's built by private investors in some sort. Give us a call. Last break. We'll take a break. Come back and talk with Carlos Alberto Diago. We might change tact, actually, and go a little bit to the A-League, where we know Sydney FC have wrapped up the title. Carlos, but a text came in from Jared, and I'm going to give him a prize, actually, uh, asking about the A-League finals. I'll let you answer that in a moment, but I hope he... Clearly, he's a soccer fan, but I hope he also likes football because uh, we're going to give him a double pass to see the Tigers and the Magpies this Thursday night at the G, kicking off at 7.20. Of course, visit Ticketek to get your tickets now. I'd like to see that. So thanks to Jared. Now, for you, Carlos, to answer the question, Sydney FC have won, yeah. what's it called, the minor premiership, is it? Or what, what's it called? I, I think they just call it the premiership. So, But they still have to play in the final series to yeah, be crowned the, champions. Yeah, the champions or the grand finalists, uh, so, or grand final winners. So, oh, look, I, I think we're in Australia. I think uh, it, it drags in the crowds. It's an extra income source for FFA, which means that money comes down to the clubs. Uh, it's exciting. It's knockout. So Sydney could get knocked out the first game they play. And it's really quick. It's not one of those ones Drag that go out. on for ages and ages. It's like three or four weeks. That's it. Uh, and they always pack out the stadium for a grand final and even for the for the semifinals. So I, you know, I, 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 it's something that I, it's, quite, it. it's quite unique for a football in, in the world. Uh, but it works well in Australia, so why not keep it? Is anyone a chance to knock off Sydney FC? Or are they just, I mean, they're far and away on the table at the moment. But do you think anyone could get hold of them in a knockout final? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Melbourne City beat them in the FFA Cup final mid-year, yeah. and uh, there's no reason why a Melbourne victory with their best players, a uh, bit of momentum built up. But the team at the moment, it's doing really well to scare a few teams in the finals is West Sydney Wanderers. So uh, there's a few of them, and, and Brisbane at home uh, can always get a good result too. So I think um, I think anyone can beat anyone in the finals, but Sydney at the moment, they are just getting better and better. They're, they're men on a mission at the moment. They want to create history, and I think they, they might do it. Yep, they've been outstanding. Clearly the best team in the comp. Mate, we're almost out of time. We had a, a man from Craigieburn who's dropped out on us. Any final thoughts from you on last night or moving forward? Well, I think uh, we're, we're turning our attention now to the A-League and I think uh, you know this weekend, again, Melbourne City yep. have got to turn around their insipid performance against West Sydney Wanderers last week. It is a, is a team that disappoints, but uh, they're a team that can achieve a lot. So um, let's see what they do against Sydney this week.